Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We have two scripture readings this morning in preparation for our sermon and our testimony. The first one is from Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred time and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. The second reading is from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toll? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Thanks be to the Word of God. Is everyone enjoying this uh, time of year? I'm not talking about winter. I'm talking about cedar season. Everyone enjoying it? I know to expect it every year now in Austin, but every single year when mold and cedar just swells, it just knocks me out. Where are my people on on Sudafed this morning? Flonase? We have any of that going on? Claritin? Who's on, who's on that neti pot? Anyone? I ran out, of, ran out of packets yesterday, so just straight distilled water up and through my nose. Why not? Our lives exist in seasons. If it's not the allergies, it's football season, or it's hunting season, or it's wedding season. Uh, we look forward to the seasons changing. Who's looking forward to summer right now? When flip-flops are out, Snow Beach and Barton Springs start calling our name. And then right there in the middle of, of uh, summer when it feels like the concrete's just radiating heat, then all of a sudden you start thinking about autumn when the temperature drops and you can go to the high school football games and people wear Uggs even though it's like 70 degrees outside. <laughs> Seasons are there. Even within the church life, most of uh, churches throughout history have practiced different seasons of their life. Even for our church, we practice two different seasons. We practice the season of Advent as we look towards Christmas. 
And we are about to enter into the season of Lent as we prepare for ourselves and for Easter. We are part of rhythms. And what we find here on this, uh, this fourth day is that seasons are a part of God's creation. Cycles and rhythms exist. They, they give us structure for our days and our years. In the fourth day of creation, as we heard read, seasons are a part of God's intention. This is how a life works. On day four, the sun and moon and stars are there, and with them comes the different seasons that mark our lives. The Bible also tells us, as we heard in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything and a season. There's a season for every activity under the heavens. And then later on in verse 11, it says, God has made everything beautiful, notice, in its time. So Ecclesiastes seems to be echoing day four of creation, that there are seasons for life. There's a season for everything under the heavens, but more than that, in verse 11, we have learned now that seasons have a purpose. What do they do? They are used by God to make everything beautiful in its time. So why is this important? Well, as we're in this series called Beginnings, as we're walking through each of these days and the themes of each of these days, considering how God might create new beginnings in our life, what this day teaches us is that beginnings will not lead us into a time of stability, but instead they will lead us in and through seasons that have each unique purposes to form us, to grow us, to make us new. So if we think about the spiritual life, um, sometimes even in conversations, uh, I hear people say, oh, I'm in, I'm in this type of season right now, or this and that. Uh, I find, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's helpful to know the seasons in which we exist. So for us, I just wanted to throw out four different seasons of the spiritual life for us to consider not only what they are, but also what God does in and through them. So let's just consider these four. First is the season of winter. Winter is a waiting season. Uh, during the winter time, it's a time of waiting. Daylight is the, the least, this, the sh- our days are the shortest. Trees seem to go bare. Grass seems dead. In other parts of the country, there's, uh, everything's covered in snow. It's just covered. And there's a time of waiting. It seems like life is dormant. And passages like Isaiah 40, 31 ring true to us. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So some people actually love winter because it's kind of simple. You can just wait. There's simplicity and calmness to it. But other, for other people, waiting is hard. But eventually, winter will come to an end. Then there's spring season. Spring is when life bursts forth. It's a time of growth. Uh, the snow melts away and the green moves in. In this season of your life, you experience and you, you know the growth. You might feel intellectually stimulated and energized. You can see God doing things in your life. It seems obvious. 2 Corinthians 5.17 resonates with you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Spring, there's fruitfulness in your life. There's delight and joy. That just seems natural. But springtime doesn't last forever. Although we wish it would, it does not last forever. Is there summer? 
Summer is a time of dryness, where that newness of life begins to fade away. The, the joy and the delight that you relished in seems to evaporate. Our St. Augustine grass goes from lush and green to yellow and crunchy. <laughs> Some people call this time a desert season. You begin to wonder, where, where is God? I remember experiencing that with God in the past, but where is he now? Is he hearing me? This might be a time of suffering, a time of doubt, where you just feel depleted. The psalmist's words ring true to you as a deer pants for water. My soul's panting for you, God. Thirsty for you. Even Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those with crushed in spirit. Summers are a part of our life. But there's another season, fall, autumn. It's a time where things fall away. It's a pruning season in our life where things start leaving us. In the fall, children go to school. Even some kids pack up their car and they go off to college. It's a time of loss. Sometimes it's welcomed loss, but it's still loss. Uh, pruning is also a challenge because when things are taken away from you, you begin to question, do I truly trust God with this thing? It's a time of pruning and with all pruning is testing. Will we allow God like a gardener to, to prune things away? Even though we might know they need to be taken away, it's still hard. That's why verses like John 15, 2 speak to us. The Father this is Jesus' words. The Father cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Notice there's cutting regardless. He prunes so there will be even more fruitful. <clears throat> so what happens in life, when we experience transitions from season to season, we often wonder, what's happening? What's going on underneath the surface? Remember, for everything there is a season, that God has a purpose for every season of our life. And the question is, can we walk faithfully through the season in which we are in with a hope that God has a redemptive purpose? So, just to take a moment, what season are you in today? Can you identify your life right now in one of these four seasons? Just take a moment now and stop talking for a second. I'm going to shut up so y'all can maybe think. Which season of are you in, in your life right now? Okay, timer's up. <laughs> what happens? Thank you, Stephanie. I'll call out your name too. Thank you, Stephanie. If we are going to grow, if we're going to become new, we're going to have to learn to embrace each and every unique season we find ourselves in. Without wishing them away, without looking for the fast forward button in our life, how can we get through this? How can we just speed this up? But for us to learn that seasons are good. Steve Weens, a friend of our church, a dear friend of mine, who wrote the book from which we uh, gathered the, this idea of this series, he wrote in the book Beginnings. Day four invites us to recognize and respond to all of the seasons of life. Though we want endless spring, summer, fall, and winter eventually come, sometimes far too soon. Day four invites us to embrace each season as it comes without wishing it away or trying to hold on too long.
So let me share an example of how God uses seasons for a bigger purpose. I'm, I'm going to do a two-minute flyby at a, at a high elevation over a person in the Bible, uh, a, a man by the name of Joseph, because I want you to see the many different seasons of spiritual life that Joseph had, and maybe at the end, what God does in them. So Joseph was born in a large family. He was, we were introduced to him as he was the favorite of all the sons, even though he was the youngest at that time. His father loved him so much, he gave him this beautiful technicolor robe, right? And Joseph began to have big dreams of what God was going to do in his life. Even dreams like his brothers would bow down to him. Bad idea to say if you're a younger brother to your older brothers. But this was his time of spring. It was growth. It was joyful. It was exciting. He was in his father's love and embrace. But he doesn't know how to navigate the world as a younger brother. He's braggadocious, and his brothers go tired of this, and they decide to throw him into a well and then sell him into slavery. Guess what? That's not springtime anymore. <laughs> That's summer. It's a, it's a, you're, he literally is in the pit. <laughs> it's, but uh, he is purchased by a man named Potiphar and is enter, enters into this time of fall where things are being shed from him. He's losing his identity there. He begins his life again. He works and finds favor for Potiphar. And Potiphar knows that, that he, he, is, uh, he has many gifts. And so Potiphar then promotes him and and Joseph now runs Potiphar's home. So from slave to being a person of authority and power. Again, spring, growth, possibility. But then he's wrongfully accused of a crime, and he's thrown into jail. Again, fall, shedding, losing, being, uh, being trimmed away. But while in prison, he begins to interpret people's dreams. People notice this. He also is seen as someone of a great promise. And so people, he interprets dreams, and the people, they promise to remember Joseph, but instead they forget. And he's sitting there, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. He is in a long winter season. But then Pharaoh, the one that, the ruler of Egypt, begins to have these dreams, and no one can interpret them. And then all of a sudden people go, oh yeah, Joseph in the prison, he could interpret dreams. They call him forward, and Joseph interpret, rightly interprets Pharaoh's dreams, saying that there is a time of great famine coming. You must begin to save food so that your people can remain alive. And because of Joseph's interpretation, the nation is saved. And Joseph is, then goes from being in prison to being the number two person in all of Egypt. Great time of spring. Wow! From the pit to the palace. And then one day, the same brothers that sold him into slavery, they traveled to Egypt because they're desperate for food. They don't recognize Joseph. But he recognizes them, and he enters into this period of pruning where the bitterness and the anger that is within his heart starts to be slowly trimmed back. He experienced this fall, fall season, this time of pruning, where Joseph ends up having this different perspective. And throughout all these different seasons of Joseph's life, what we see is this undercurrent that God was at work that God was purposing and redeeming each of these seasons for a greater purpose, for a greater story. 
Joseph was being made into a different character than he was on day one, where he was braggadocious, he was prideful, he grows into this person of a different perspective. He actually says to his brothers later on, he says this to them, and this is Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. At the end of Joseph's story, at the end of this life, he echoed the words of Ecclesiastes that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Was it painful? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. But God has a redeeming power, a redeeming work. Seasons are a part of God's work in our lives to bring about goodness, to bring about beauty from every season to make us new. The question is, can we believe it? Can we believe that every season of our life can have purpose that can bend towards redemption and preparation? So I want to do something different today. Because this story is not just a Bible study for us to see what God would do in ancient times. This is how God still forms us. I want us to hear from someone in our own community uh, so we can hear how God continues to use seasons in our lives to make us into people more fully formed. So I have the great privilege of asking Wayne Gonzalez to come up here to share. You guys are in for a treat. Uh, Wayne, welcome, buddy. Will y'all welcome Wayne, please? Sure. You guys don't know, Wayne has been a part of our community, helps help plant this church from the very beginning. So it's a, a great privilege to have uh, Wayne here. I thought about Wayne as preparing for this message just in part because it's the privilege of being his friend and seeing him over these last, uh, last year or so. Hi, Wayne. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you. You too. look good, man. Thank you. Feel good. <laughs> good. All right, so Wayne... I want us to begin by just looking at this picture. I want you to tell me, what does this picture mean to you? 2018. Can y'all hear me? How about now? Okay. Sorry. 2018 was a great year for Pam and I. I had been baptized, which was very special in my deeper walk with God. We traveled. We had Pam's immediate family in town for Thanksgiving. And at Christmas, we were with my family in San Antonio. Pam and I had been on staff together at Pilgrimage. We enjoyed weekly meetings with our Bible study group. We had been through the Abide and Strength Finder programs at the church, as well as the chili cook-off and the crawfish boil. Our business was doing well. Our condo in Rockport was being rebuilt from Harvey. To sum it up, yeah. we were having a great year. It was a good year. Good year. And then uh, a year ago, what happened? Yeah, almost exactly to the day. Is it almost to the day? Almost to the day. Uh, I walked into our home January 8th, 2019 from working out at the gym saw a very serious look on Pam's face. She said she had just gotten off the phone with our doctor and he wanted to see us immediately. 
I have always had low blood counts, so I thought it was no big deal. Just put me on some meds and all would be good. That day our world and everything in it would change. He told us I had acute myeloid leukemia. I had cancer. Pam and I were shocked and devastated. We got home and immediately began to learn what my cancer would mean to us. There was a 50-50 chance I could die. And leave Pam, my soulmate, alone. We had men made so many plans for our future together. Now I don't know where I had cancer. We were scared and hopeless. We were now reading words and about treatments that we had never heard of, a new language that we needed to learn. We were entering a time in our life that would change us forever. We had no plan B. A few days later, we were at MD Anderson in Houston, leaving everything we knew behind with no plan, just prayer and hope. I began going through procedure after procedure, and we're seeing things there that I cannot explain in words. Maybe the best way to put it was this disease called cancer was everywhere, and we were all fighting to survive it. Pam and I were introduced to our new leukemia medical team, not knowing they would soon become our extended family and also save my life. We had just gone from a wonderful normal life in 2018 to being told by our leukemia, MD leukemia team that any chance for me surviving AML was to go through an intense chemo regimen trial that we knew nothing about, which would take me to a thin line between life and death. This chemo trial was new. Only 56 people in the world had tried it. None had been cured completely. So you're saying that 55 people before you went through the experience and they all died? They did not all die, but they still had yeah. uh, cancer in their body and the leukemia yeah. so it didn't was still a, a big part of their lives. Yeah. My doctor, who I'd only known for a couple of hours, who we had only known for a couple of hours, said this was the only way to kill most of the leukemia and hopefully get me into remission so I could then have a stem cell transplant that could kill me also. Pam and I were a mess at this point. We looked at each other. Would I never be cured? And was this just buying me time? So a part of your experience then was um, going into isolation and uh, being in that isolation. Um, this is a picture of it, right? Is, yeah. this, is this when you first went in? Yeah. 
that is, that is the first day. That is, we've been there already uh, for seven or eight days, but um, until the uh, counts in my body get to a certain level where I can't be around anybody, uh, then they put me into the isolation. And what was, how long were you in there? I was in there 28 days, so plus the week before. So 28 days you lived in that room. Can you talk, talk to us about that season of your time with God and what happened there? Yes. 12th floor, G63 was my room. For 28 days I was in total isolation where I never could leave my room and only see Pam and any visitors through a glass window, like you see there, and speak to them only by the speaker on the phone. I would not be able to shower or have a toilet for those 28 days as well. We had just left Austin days before and would not be back for two months, best case. What could happen or what would happen to our Austin life was now insignificant. So, yeah, share what you and I have talked about this, but how you met with God there in that place, in that pit. Here is where our journey goes deeper with our Lord and Savior as my healer. I say ours because all this was going to be just as hard on Pam, maybe harder than it was for me. Pam was in a three by five adjacent room that only had one uncomfortable chair. And the window separating us was above where she sat. The only way she could see me was to be standing. She would also spend most of the next 28 days walking very far to her hotel room only to shower and then back to being there for me. She was my rock, my angel, She never left my side. She slept almost every night in that horrible chair. As I began my intense <clears throat> daily chemo treatments, faceless people came into my room that I did not know and were covered in head-to-toe uniforms. All I could see were their eyes. It was during these times that Pam and I spent most of the day praying and asking God, what was this, what was this detour in our life? What was the reason for this? After receiving my initial intense chemo treatments, we were skeptically optimistic. I was not having any adverse side effects and even <clears throat> The doctor had said that some people fly right through the treatment. 
with no issues. I was not that guy. And our world was going to change fast. I woke up at midnight on the 14th day and experienced pain, chills, and feelings in my body that I have never felt. I was unable to move or understand what was happening. The nurse said that my body was being attacked. And because of the chemo treatments, I had no immune system to fight with. I knew this was bad, and Pam could only watch. As people came into, in and out of my room, <clears throat> filling me with more drugs and IVs than we had ever seen, I thought, was this going to be how it all ends. I was fine yesterday, and now I had 104 fever and was fighting for my life. For four days, I was packed in ice, rarely sleeping, while they ran every test they could to see what was causing my fever and symptoms. This was our darkest time. Pam and I, had no one to turn to to help us, but God. We felt so alone. I remember crying, having barely the strength to reach out my hand and asking God to please help me. I did not want to die, not now and not like this. Little did we know he had a plan for us. When we were in this place of helplessness and hopelessness, God was there. We could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. He had never left us. For some reason, we had to give up all control. And I do mean all control and just ask him to save us from all of this. He did. On the 19th day, the drugs began to work. Or was it God? Pam and I prefer to believe it was our Lord and Savior. The next few days were a blur we were so happy that I had made it out of this terrible sickness and we would soon find out the blessing that I had gone into remission. Praise God. <laughs> Pam and I also believe there was a reason that we had made it through this terrible storm. After prayer and talking to God, we realized that we were in this place not to wallow in my disease, but to help the ones around us that had no hope. So many people here in this special church today <laughs> so many and so many friends 
that had been supporting us daily, hourly, was another reason we had survived. I wanted to tell you all about each and every act of love and kindness these special loving friends did for us. But Pam said, you all probably would want to be home before six tonight. I do want you to know that this caring church brought us many copies of Jesus Calling devotional books for Pam to hand out to families who needed the comfort of Jesus and to be loved. Grace from this wonderful community. The vine was also making a difference there. Mm. Would you catch us up on, on how you doing today? How's your health today? Uh, today, I am not only in remission, but I am also MRD negative. What does that mean? What that means is there's no trace of leukemia in my blood or in my body. Yeah. Our medical team has no explanation for this. And after I got out of the hospital, did not know what to do because I was one of one. No one had come through the trial and had been free of the disease. We knew why. It was God. And they knew it too. I'm still on a 24-month light chemo maintenance regiment that allows us to have a mostly normal life. So a year ago, you had this spiritual renewal in your life marked by your experiences of serving and learning and growing and being baptized, and then you went into this <laughs> other season in your life. Uh, as you look back now, as you look back on, on that season that you had, I know even going through these pictures were challenging in their own right, but when you look back now, what, do you, what did God do with that season? What did God do with that hardship? God changed us. Pam and I are no longer who we used to be. Every day is the best day. Problems we have now, we first take, take to God in prayer. I know that this may sound crazy, but Pam and I have found so many blessings in that thin place we were at in Houston. We are better to have seen what we saw, to experience what we did, because we believe God was shaping us to be what he wants us to be. Um, I'd like to read you one verse out of my daily devotional. It's kind of ironic, this was when I was sick the most. So you read this while you were there when you were the most sick? Yeah, actually, it's dated February the 16th. If you don't have a daily devotional, it's a great way to start your day. 
And they come in different colors too, right? They do. Okay, okay. They do. <sighs> Thank me for the conditions that are requiring you to be still. Do not spoil these quiet hours by wishing them away, waiting impatiently to be active again. Some of my greatest works in my kingdom have been done from sick beds and prison cells. Instead of resenting the limitations of a weakened body, search for my way in the midst of these very circumstances. Limitations can be very liberating when your strongest desire is living close to me. Quietness and trust enhance your awareness of my presence with you. Do not despise these simple ways of serving me. Although you feel cut off from the activity of the world, your quiet trust makes a powerful statement in spiritual realms. My strength and power show themselves most effective in weakness. Amen. There is always hope, and God can use that in every circumstance. Yeah. We are blessed. So what season of life are you in right now? <laughs> there were so many times when I was there that I never thought I would see y'all be here in this place. There's so many things that I love now. Traffic. Um, smell of morning rain. Every day is just really special to me and Pam. And don't ever take it for granted. I never in a million years thought that I would have been in that place. And when you go to that place, I pray that it is nowhere near what I had to go through. But at some point in our lives, we're all a mess. And that's when I think God is closer to you. And if you just listen, if you're just quiet, he can take you through anything and make everything gold again. Thank you so much. Wayne, you're a prince, you're a treasure, thank love you. you. Can we thank Wayne? This message is important not because it's not just Wayne's story. This is our story, that life comes with seasons. We're travelers through all of them. But what you, I hope you've heard now is that whatever season in which you're in right now, God is the Lord of that season. God is the Lord of winter. He's the Lord of spring, of summer, and of fall. And God longs that you would see and rely on his redeeming power. 
Remember the verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11? I didn't share all of it in, in fullness earlier, but I want to share it all now. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Although it feels completely foreign and unnatural for us to experience seasons of depletion, of pain, of, of the pit, Know that it's also because God has created you for eternity. To know and be with him for all of eternity. To have an endless season of delight, of peace, of joy. That is why Christ came for you. Jesus came to save us from all of the seasons of life so that we can experience the beauty that comes in the fullness of time. And when Jesus comes and restores all things, we will know that firsthand. We will know firsthand that we will experience the eternity that our hearts were created for. A, a, a life without mourning, without loss, without shame, without regret. That is why Christ came. He loves you. He is for you. And he will make everything beautiful in its time.